Hello, I'm Richard Herring. And I'm Uncle LaCroix. And this is Sight on Screen. So, uh, different. we're doing something different again. <laughs> again, yeah. This uh, quarantine hasn't really left a lot uh, to really sink our Work teeth with. in, in terms of new releases. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, if, if the news is to believe, we're, we're, us and everybody else keeps waiting for that to change. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're always right around the corner for, uh, for going back to normalcy. Just, just, just so close. <laughs> All right, so today uh, I think uh, you know, the movie Tenant uh, by one of our fa- one bo- both of our favorite uh, directors, uh, Christopher Nolan, yep, uh, is absolutely. releasing sometime this year. It's a little unsure if because it, it was supposed to, it was slated for summer this year, and then I don't it, there isn't any official news that I know of that's been pushed. But the only thing that's been said is that Warner Brothers is not going to let this one slip by. They are they are just clutching themselves, hoping this thing's going to get a, a full release, because they are planning this thing to be the biggest moneymaker of the year. Yeah, and you know, considering the track record that Nolan has, it's uh, not, that, not that far-fetched. No, it's going to be the highest-budgeted original film ever, once it gets released. Yeah, true, true, true. Everything else uh, yeah. that budget, budget has been some kind of has been some kind of uh, sequel or uh, in-universe thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, the three hundred million dollar debacle that was the Justice League movie. <laughs> wow, that I know, thing I know. Is it's a piece that, of shit. It's not even counting the marketing budget. That's just the budget that it cost to just pr- produce. <laughs> Yeah, I think it took. I, I think it took about a hundred million dollars to just get Jason Momoa going. Oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Because you can imagine, like he, he did it, and then everybody burst out laughing. So they they had to reset. And they had to do it again. And then Momoa looked himself in the mirror long and hard and thought, "They're not paying me enough to do this." Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, there's some <laughs> huge news that just got released, and what? it's what probably gonna gonna make this. Uh, the ultimate cut even more attractive for next year. Uh, the Snyder cut of the Justice League just got announced. No. Yeah, you it's going to be releasing on me. HBO Max, either in an oh. episodic fashion or as a full like four-hour cut for next year. It's later oh. for sometime next year. Oh, it was officially mercy. announced. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me! What and why? Nope. Because there were like millions of I people mean, I... that petitioned and bought billboards and shit like that. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> oh, oh my god. I mean, I thought it was weird when Netflix released the Hateful Eight miniseries. Miniseries? But, well, yeah, what they did is they took the Hateful Eight, the longest version that Tarantino didn't release in theaters, cut it into four parts, and then put it on Netflix. Yeah, okay. That's interesting, I guess. So it's kind of like that. That one there, I just thought was like unnecessary. This just sounds stupid. <laughs> I mean, I was laughing my ass off when I read that because I was like, 
this whole time, God. the Snyder Cut has been this like mythical thing that everyone keeps talking about and never really yes. knowing if it's ever if it's actually real or not. And then all of a sudden, now they're just like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna throw an extra twenty million dollars on the movie." Like it wasn't it wasn't bad enough that it's that it's already a three hundred million dollar movie. <laughs> they're throwing an additional twenty million oh. on it. <laughs> So that Snyder can finish oh, uh, editing, why? do some special effects, and also maybe some reshoots are going to be involved. Okay, can we all just take a moment here and appreciate that um, someone's taking someone for a ride, and I don't know which side it is. <laughs> I am ver- fairly certain that Snyder is taking everyone for a ride. <laughs> I think Snyder is just cackling to himself somewhere over the, the the fact that they're gonna pay him money to do this i know it's insane That's just the craziest thing After in the kicking world. him off <laughs> of the of the whole project for being too you know snidery i guess yeah. <laughs> they bring him back they're like here's here's an extra 20 million let's do this <laughs> I mean, he um, is also. I mean, Snyder. I don't want to get too into it, but Snyder does really have the air of douche, doesn't he? Um, in yeah. an interview, he he doesn't yeah. come across very well. <laughs> he comes he, across he, as a guy who's uh, very. He's an old hipster, if you will. He, he comes across as someone who was very popular back in the frat house days. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's, exactly that's his air. Hmm. And and he is he's good at certain shots, but maybe yeah. not. But you cannot compare him to someone like, say, Christopher Nolan, who we'll be talking about today. <laughs> no, I mean Snyder. Snyder is a commercial maker. He's a, he is the Michael Bay of modern time. Whereas, oh yeah, Nolan is kind of an animal onto himself. He kind of just hasn't followed anybody's rules. Yeah, no, and I think, uh, and we'll we'll discuss why in in a little bit. But I think uh, Christopher Nolan will be uh, put down in history as one of the greatest directors of uh, ever. Actually, yeah. he's going to be up there with uh, the likes of uh, Kubrick and Tarkovsky and Scorsese and the yeah, like. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the I think that's the closest one you actually got right there is the Kubrick comparison because he isn't yeah. a Scorsese, he isn't a Tarantino. He is a very cerebral guy. He is much more a Kubrickian kind of director. Yeah, and he has the same sort of anal retentiveness <laughs> that mm-hmm. Kubrick has, where, yeah. whereas other directors might, for example, have uh, second directors, I think they're called, that yes. do these like sort second of unit. other... Yeah, second unit directors that do like uh, pickup shots and that kind of stuff in movies. Uh, yeah. He actually insists on make, on being there at every single point and directing himself. Yeah, I mean, a second unit guy is usually the person who, uh, anytime you see security footage in a film, anytime you see, uh, like, spy cam footage of a street in Rome or something, that's a small crew and the second unit director got put on a plane somewhere to record that. Yeah, like uh, aerial shots, uh, establishing it, shots, that kind yeah, of stuff. all that kind of stuff. I mean, all everything that doesn't have to do with the main po- plot, main action, main stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other separation is when you have a, uh, which is, this is another thing that N- Nolan doesn't do, which is quite amazing, is he doesn't have an action director. Yeah. So Very usually true. for a big modern day blockbuster, you'll have one dude who's in charge of fight choreography with camera, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really see this in stuff like um, uh, Kingsman, 
where they have these like huge set piece action things with slow-mo and moving camera here and there. And it looks very different than the rest of the film. Yeah. And that's because uh, it's, it's famously also do it, does it. And yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure the people involved in John Wick are also, I mean, that that used to be their job before they went and did the full. Not exactly. Uh, no, the guys who did John Wick were stunt coordinators who did uh, pre-visualization of stunt work with camera. So they would act okay. out full stunt scenes using a camera for reference for a director. So the director pretty much just had to do copy paste almost on what they did. Mm. So they were kind of the early days of where action directors came from. Right, right, right. But Nolan, Nolan's a hands-on dude, and he really does kind of cover all the bases in his films in terms of genre and type. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, so... Let's discuss, uh, I, I mean, I think I guess we can talk a little bit about Nolan himself. Uh, he is, or what, what he's known for, I guess. Uh, so Christopher mm. Nolan, English fella, born in, it says here, 1970. Yep. So, uh, yeah, he's actually not that old. No, he kind of hit, mar- hit the market quite young. He was, he was directing feature very early. Yeah. And considering how early on his uh, style sort of formed. It's kind of surprising, actually. He's really... Considering, yeah, yeah I mean, considering ahead. his first feature film was made when he was my age, <laughs> on a budget yeah. of $6,000? Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, t- of course, talking about the, moving, uh, the movie, sorry, The Following, mm. uh, which released in 98, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Which we're gonna avoid talking about today because I think uh, it's it's a movie that you haven't seen, Richard. So I think we it's, should. It's the only do... one from his filmography I haven't seen. Yeah, so we kind of need to put a pin in that because that can be an episode. Yeah, and I would actually love to discuss that movie with you because you can sort of uh, see how Nolan has developed from them and how much of those early. That, the, that those early experiences formed his later movies. So it's a very yeah. interesting movie to sort of complete that story arc of a director, yeah. essentially. I mean, the other thing that's interesting here is that Nolan wasn't a, uh, didn't have a film education. No, no. True. He studied English literature, which is really where the screenwriting stuff comes from. Yes. And that's also another thing that we should probably discuss. He, is for the most part credited as the writer in almost all his movies, either the sole writer or as a co-writer, most famously with his brother for movies like uh, Inception, no, sorry, Interstellar, and uh, I think Dunkirk, his brother was also involved, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and his brother has kind of got his own career. His brother is the main producer and kind of showrunner for things like Westworld. Right, yeah. Uh, Jonathan Nolan, if I'm not mistaken. Jonathan Nolan. I mean, the weird thing with those two is that you can hear them two talk, those two talking in interview. Christopher Nolan sounds like a Londoner. Jonathan mm-hmm. Nolan sounds like a New Yorker. It's bizarre. <laughs> like, you're literally listening to these two people going, you can't be related. There, there's no way these two voices... And they keep tuning in and out of different accents because they've lived kind of a multilingual existence, to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So it is very interesting hearing hearing Nolan talk and then hearing his brother talk. It's quite hilarious. But uh, I mean, that team is a fantastic team. Uh, yeah, oh, no, yeah. It, not not 
Dunkirk. It's uh, actually Memento is one of the other ones Memento, that they worked yeah. together on. Yeah, Memento right. was actually, and that should be the first movie that we talk about because we've got to go through them, uh, I guess, chronologically. So Memento was so. an idea that his brother had for a short story. And he actually yes. wrote the short story afterwards. Hmm. And based on the idea that they were discussing one day, uh, Christopher Nolan decided to make the movie. So hmm. they, they, don't, they don't actually go, they don't gel too much together, the short story and the movie. They're quite different. But the concept okay. of the protagonist and what they're going through and sort of hmm. the investigation is the same. Right. But the actual like meat of the story is, is a little different. Right. Um, yeah, so Memento is about a guy named Leonard who has retrograde amnesia. Yeah, and, being played by uh, Guy Pierce. Yeah, one of the best performances I've seen for Guy Pierce. I mean, this put Guy Pierce on the map. Yeah, and unfortunately, I he didn't I have remember many Guy roles Pierce. after that that were this good. No, I mean, he really knocked it out of the park here. Yeah. Because it's, it's a very nuanced performance. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So I'm, I, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this movie. This is the movie that got, got me on board to put mm -hmm. it this way. Yeah. And actually speaking of Guy Pierce, uh, Christopher Nolan is one of those very, very few directors where regardless of the experience of the actor or of the, the type of actor mm. they are, or, uh, if they're having an off day or not, regardless of any of that he's able to get the best performances from them. There are very, very few directors out there that can do that, and Christopher Nolan is one of them, where he, he like, no matter who is acting in his movies, you'll always get an amazing performance. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who, we'll get to it later, but he managed to take one of the One Direction boys and managed to right, make it an actor. Exactly. So. <laughs> and uh, and Dunkirk. I mean, good lord. Very true. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an achievement. Right. And and yeah, so, so what makes Memento so special is that the protagonist mm. is going through this retrograde amnesia where every so-and-so many minutes, I think it's 15 minutes, he forgets. Every 5 to 15, I think. Yeah, he yeah. forgets what happened before. And it constantly mm. happens. And that sort of, and the story is designed around that as well. And the way the movie was shot, more interestingly, is in sort of this backwards fashion where you get these five to ten minute segments and then you pick up where uh like, like five to ten minutes earlier and you end where the other one started and you keep going backwards sort of throughout the movie yeah well here's the thing actually but it's a little bit more complicated than that which is that because i studied memento i think i've written a paper on memento when it comes to how it constructs story and the thing it's doing is that, and it, you can actually find footage of Nolan talking about this. Memento is the perfect example of the difference between story and plot. Story is when you tell what is happening in a film from beginning to end chronologically as according to the character. Plot is how that story is presented to the audience. It is the filter by which the story is constructed on screen. So, for example, when you have in a screenplay, they drive from place A to place B, and you cut out that scene from the actual film because it's assumed they got from A to B somehow, that's a plot decision. Now, Memento, you have two types of scenes. You have color and black and white. Mm -hmm. 
the colored sequence is exactly what you just said. It is see the sequence of these guys experience playing backwards with each scene going in a reverse chronological order. The black and white right. scenes is interspersed. So you have color, you have black and white, you have color, you have black and white. And the black and white scenes are moving progressively forward using both flashback storytelling and forward progressive story to the and going forward until they end at the point where the colored scenes begin. Correct. So it is an absolute unbelievable jigsaw in terms of trying to understand the full story from the film itself. Right. And Christopher Nolan as director is actually very known for making his movies or, or treading this incredibly fine line between high art and mainstream blockbuster. Yeah. Where, yes, he does these like really unique choices in how he tells a story. He, ha he chooses to do almost always very complex, plot-heavy uh, movies, mm. uh, but through the use of visual storytelling and minimal expositions uh, told by, by verbal cues, uh, he's able to make them very understandable and very accessible to a lot of people. Yep. And he's very. it's very known about the whole circular storytelling, and that's sort of, you can sort of see this happen in Memento right before your eyes as the colored and the black and white sequences sort of merge towards one, and you go back to where everything started, essentially. Yeah, and I mean, the, the film makes itself understood. You can actually follow what's happening, even if you don't understand the system he's using to show it to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... he even mentions at one point because uh, I see I saw an interview with him. He mentioned that especially with Memento, the de the decision. So the movie opens in a in a scene that's actually played backwards. So all the other scenes of the movie is like a five to ten minute sequence mm. that that is that is played straight. But then the next sequence after the black and white scene starts ten, ten five to ten minutes before that, and it sort of goes in the like you said the the reverse chronological order. But the, the very, very first scene of the movie, as you're getting sort of the, the title screen and the names of, of, the, of the actors and so on, is actually played backwards. And that was a decision that Correct. came very late in the process, in the editing process. Uh, it's also mm. worth mentioning that Nolan is also very much involved in the editing process, which not all directors do. But, but yep. Nolan is one of those that, that sort of likes to be there as the editor is editing <laughs> so that they can maintain his vision. Uh, but yeah, yeah so, I mean, as, I'm, I'm not sorry. a believer in the aut no, no, sir. Uh, I'm not a believer in the auteur theory. I'm not entirely sure Nolan isn't because he seems to treat it that way. He mm -hmm. is there for every part of the filmmaking process. Yeah, and he makes it work. I wouldn't recommend everyone do it. Obviously, there is a lot of people that uh, I think Snyder is a good example <laughs> where if they have too much oh. control, it doesn't. Oh. Uh, it doesn't always end uh, end well, but but Nolan seems to 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 be able to do this and pull it off quite uh, incredibly, actually. So so yeah, back to my point. So that that scene, mm. the very very first scene of the movie, played backwards, was a late decision in the editing process, and it was put there so that the audience understands that this movie is going to move in a backwards direction, essentially. It sort of puts the, the viewer in the mindset of, okay, so this is going to be playing backwards. 
and it makes it easier to digest that the others, other scenes are in the reverse chronological order. Yeah, and I mean, it's also the fact, I mean, the, the whole point of the reason he structured the movie this way was because he wanted the audience to experience what the character of Guy Pierce was experiencing, where they don't know the information preceding anything that's happening to them. Just like you had reverse retrograde amnesia. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I, I mean, I think that decision, it's a, it's a bold move. It's a very bold move. Especially considering this was this was like his first step into the mainstream. That's kind of insane that he decided to do that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he it was a gamble. It was a straight up gamble, and he started like we said. The following had six thousand dollars. I'm trying mm-hmm. to find how much budget this thing had. Yeah, this one had a budget of nine million. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a huge jump, especially for '98. That's that's actually a pretty pretty big budget. Yeah, and it grossed forty million. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, good grief that that had to be something that got that perked people up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and uh, sort of talking a bit about like Nolan in his process. So, mm. you know, you were saying that he wants you to be in the mindset of the protagonist, and he does this in almost all of his movies where. Yeah you're very much focused on the perspective of your protagonist. <clears throat> yeah, and every, and every time the character is going through something specific, it's, something, it's never, I, his main characters are never generic. There's always something specific happening to them or in their own heads that he's trying to give you access to. Mm-hmm. All right. And they're usually, uh, so, so they're, they're characters, so the, let me put my uh, my words in order here. So, mm-hmm. what Nolan what Nolan tries to do is so, and this is very evident, especially in movies like Memento. The planning process of a movie, he says, can take him months, if not years. Mm. Inception famously took him eleven years to write yep. because the planning process of that movie is just such a was such a monumentous task. When he actually sits down to write the screenplay, he writes it in a chronological order as the movie is being seen by the audience. Mm -hmm. And he does that on purpose so that when he actually tells the story, he tells it in a cohesive and in a way that's understandable for the audience. And he sort of tries to see it from their perspective. Yeah. No, I I say from our perspective. Yeah. And he does a really good job of it because again, while very complicated, it doesn't have that pitfall of becoming incomprehensible. Yeah, actually, yeah, exactly right. And uh, his movies, surprisingly enough, especially considering how out there most of his, uh, uh, most of the plots of his movies are, surprisingly few plot holes. They're very, very well thought out when uh, when put to paper. They're very, yeah. I mean, they're very well thought out. And interestingly, you know what the main criticism he receives is? What? in terms of like critics and such, they always assume his movies are going to be too smart for people. And then the movies made millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, no, but that, that was the thing that I was saying that he, he takes these really heavy and heady, I should say topics 
and mm. then just is able to boil them down in such a way where they're very comprehensible for everyone. Yeah, and I mean, he makes big leaps. I think that's the one thing I'll give him because I mean, if we're if we're gonna make it through this filmography, I'm just gonna jump us ahead a little yeah. bit. <laughs> so we need to do that. We have Memento, which is again nine million dollars. Relatively unknown actors. I think Carrie Ann Moss and. Uh, there was a couple of other character actors in there, but mainly Guy Pierce. Then we jump straight to Insomnia with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Yes, probably the best performances uh, by uh, best performance by Robin Williams, I would say, at least that I have seen, and one of the best best dramatic performance certainly. Yes, and one of the best performances from Al Pacino, even though he has, especially his older movies, some of them like The Godfather Part Two and. Uh, Scarface, mm. I think he you know, he really excels in those roles, but this is a very different Pacino, and this also comes back to Nolan and how he's able to pull performances from his actors. And this is a later Pacino too. This is where this was sort of after his downfall, or that at least after the start of his downfall as an actor. Well, I, I think this is where it, this is. I think yeah, this is post Heat, and Heat, while it's an amazing movie and it's an amazing Pacino performance, is kind of where the world was introduced to new Pacino. No longer yeah. are we getting the subtleties of Godfather 1 and 2. We are getting the unhinged, uh, I don't you know, he's got that thing going on. And Insomnia actually manages to harness that and use it, which is something right, very yeah. few people managed. It meant the, he kind of ran over everybody when he was doing his thing. Nolan mm -hmm. manages to channel that whoaness and make it part of the character in an interesting way. Yeah, and the character here, also a very flawed character, and also a story mm. being told from their perspective. This is a character who goes through a pretty traumatic event. Uh, he's a police officer, yep. goes through a traumatic event, and is uh, suffering from insomnia. And it's so bad that they're starting to hallucinate, and they're starting to... Uh, loose sense of their own reality, which is sort of a common theme in a lot of the characters in Nolan's movies. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, because here we go. This is the thing as well, which is Nolan does have this really, he, he has a real knack for finding a character flaw and then making the rest of the movie exacerbate it. So we have, we have Pacino, he can't sleep at home. Suddenly he's being sent to investigate a murder in a place where the sun never sets up in, in the north, north of the United States. Right. Or north of Canada, I think. But anyway, I mean, yeah, the point is like, he's in, he's in the perpetual daylight with a sleeping problem. You, mm -hmm. you just couldn't put together a worse combination of factors for a man's sanity. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And he he sort of he takes those those character flaws and pushes them up to eleven, and sort of sees how that's going to affect the rest of the, the the people around them essentially, and the plot. And that's really it's a really neat thing that they that he does. And as crazy as the plots get, they're very much all of his movies are very much character studies, or at least are rooted in a character study. Their character uh, studies. Memento that are... and Insomnia are fantastic examples of those. The Batman oh, yeah. trilogy is also really, really good examples of the of essentially breaking down the character of Batman uh, and Bruce Wayne, and also how the villains elevate his flaws and his uh, weaknesses as well as his strengths. Oh yeah. No, I mean I think that's so, kind of the interesting yeah. part with with Nolan. I mean Insomnia. I don't want to get 
too much into mainly because I think it's it is a mystery story that is worth it, it, it's worth having it explore itself if you know what I mean. I think people should watch mm-hmm. it. I think it's a great movie, but it yeah, is. I think. Like, I mean, mm, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, so I think I mean I think I speak for both of us when I say we we love Christopher Nolan and we oh, love yeah. all of his work and we definitely recommend that people watch his entire filmography. And Insomnia is one of the ones that is uh, unfortunately least talked about, but also one of his better movies. I would almost say because <laughs> it's such a like smaller scale, I guess, than his later movies. I think it's I think it's one of his movies that. Because it isn't, it doesn't have the demand of being this massive set piece thing. It actually has a little bit more breathing space. It has a little bit more patience for everything. Mm-hmm. It's older actors going through a more personal story. And I think that is a playground that he excels in and yet hasn't been allowed to use very much. And if much. you're a fan of David Fincher, you know, from the likes of Zodiac, uh, House of Cards, mm. uh, Mind Hunter, I think is a show. Uh, and seven. Yep. Uh, this is probably the closest you'll get from a Nolan perspective to uh, to a David Fincher movie. Yeah, and I think this is the thing where th- this is this is the Fincher that could have been. This is in the same way that Kubrick did The Killing. Right. Uh, he. This is like a slightly more personal story where because the playground is small, it forces a more emotional piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't watched The Killing, by the way, fun fact, The Killing was, is a noir movie from 1956 directed by Kubrick where the de- producers insisted he put it in a voice vo- voiceover so that people could understand what was happening. And uh, Kubrick did. It just had the voiceover lie every time it said anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very similar to uh, the story behind Blade Runner. Because uh, and, and mm. some of the theatrical releases of Blade Runner, they actually had Harrison Ford do voiceover, and because oh God, because that. Ridley Scott was so against that uh, decision from the executives and producers, that uh, he uh, ended up basically putting nonsense in the voiceover. <laughs> yeah, really funny. He's like, "Oh no, I'll do it, but uh, prepare thyself. Prepare thyself." <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and this moves us on to. The Batman trilogy, starting with Batman Begins, uh, very uh, and this is where it, interesting. This title. is where I have to bring up a fact. Nolan gets a lot of credit as a writer. He gets a lot of credit as a master filmmaker. Where I, we're gonna when we once we start talking about Batman, the visuals have to come into play. Of course, I don't think Christopher Nolan gets enough credit at clearly being a con man because he made True. Memento and Insomnia and still managed to convince Warner Brothers to give him the Batman movies. <laughs> Very, very How? true. What I have did he no promise idea. them? Who did who who did he have pictures of doing what? Because that is a leap no one would, should have believed. You I couldn't believe it when they not when he got picked for it. Right. It's probably worth mentioning another one of our favorite directors, both of us, uh, is uh uh what's his name? Uh Darren Aronofsky. Oh yeah, I love So Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky was actually Put to direct Batman Begins initially, no. or at least the the yes. And there's actually interviews about this uh, with uh, Aronofsky. So he was actually, and it was supposed to be Batman Year One. For anyone who's familiar with the comics, it was supposed oh, to be wow. very okay. similar to that, but an even darker. And according to Aronofsky himself, 
even darker than Batman Begins and much more uh, R-rated, <laughs> if you will. Whoa, okay. So, yeah, so Aronofsky was actually supposed to direct Batman Begins, but then Nolan came with a script and was able to please all the executives, and so they switched to uh, to Nolan's uh, <laughs> Nolan as the director to helm the movie. Oh, that's too yeah. funny. But yeah, I mean, it's insane. I, I love the fact that because one of the other people here in the credits for writing this movie, the story by, is uh, none other than David S. Goyer. From Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman fame, amongst mm-hmm. many other <laughs> terrible, terrible things. Uh, I just uh, I don't understand how that happened, but okay. Yeah, but see, this is this is this is what I was saying. So, <laughs> Nolan is so involved in every single step of the of the process that I highly doubt that Goyer uh, wrote much of anything for this movie. Even though he's credited as as the, as being the the story by him, I think the general idea, which is actually should be credited to the comics, because Batman Begins is actually quite similar to Year One mm. uh, as a story. But uh, but yeah, so I think Goyer had the general idea, oh, and then Nolan just went and said, "Great, I'm gonna do my own thing. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna redo just, all the stuff that you <laughs> of your just, from your input." Let me give you some choice selections of David S. Goyer's IMDb page credits. <laughs> he is Can't the write, He is the writer of Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. Mm, amazing. Call of Duty Two: Black Ops Two. What? He wrote video. Oh, he wrote he yeah. got, he wrote Call of Call of Duty Two, and he was the story consultant for Call of Duty Black Ops One. Oh, okay. The writer of the writer of Da Vinci's Demons. Oh, that's actually an interesting TV show. Vader, I wouldn't highly recommend any of it, but sure. <laughs> Vader Immortal, the Star Wars VR series. What? <laughs> that exists? <laughs> it does. Oh, oh my god. Here? Oh my god, Terminator Dark Fate. He wrote Terminator, Terminator Dark Fate. Fate. Oh, no. I mean... <laughs> that makes sense, though. Oh, Considering oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, sorry. shit. The Crow City of Angels? Oh yeah, the second Crow movie. Yep. Amazing movie. Oh. Uh, not not really. <laughs> it's actually a horrible, horrible movie. Don't watch it. But yeah. Oh, he's been announced it's, it's as one a... of those hilariously funny. Oh, he's been announced as a writer of Hellraiser? Yeah, the, the new Hellraiser. They're rebooting Hellraiser. Oh, One but... thing that's really got me uh, uh, worried is that he's uh, he's the writer for the Foundation Apple TV series. I was just looking at it. I was just looking yeah, at it. Yeah, that like, got me no, super worried. Because no, no. I was already worried because Foundation is such a difficult uh, set of books to adapt in the first place. I mean, we were already... Alone, we were, we were already worried about it because of who was going to be directing that Jack hat we found on one of the other episodes. Do you remember this? Uh, no. We were talking about somebody um, who was con- we we were talking about someone connected to that sci-fi series, possibly that looked mm-hmm. awful. I mean, it, it it looks like it's going to be terrible. Oh yeah, Rupert Sanders. That's, That's the one. Right. Yes. 
from Ghost in the Shell. Yes. That's the one. <laughs> foundation. Oh, this Rick is going to be a shit show. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, here is no. writing and Rupert Sanders is directing. Um, oh, oh mercy. please, please. <laughs> I mean, I hope I'll be pleasantly surprised, obviously, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a shit show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for me, though, yeah. talking of pleasantly surprised, I have to say, Batman Begins, I did not go in with a lot of expectations because I don't think I I had really registered who was directing. I, it's like, I think hey, most I, people I'd didn't see... have high expectations after Batman and Robin came out Ooh. with uh, Clooney. Yeah. Uh, boy, <laughs> I think, oh I think people had very, very low expectations. Yeah. It blew me away. Mm. I'm telling you, I was I was on board. I'm sorry, I'm still reading through writing credits. He was he was the, <laughs> the screenplay writer for Jumper. Remember Jumper? Oh shit. That movie? The, the teleporter movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With oh, uh, with god. Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker, dude. Oh my god, that movie was yeah. uh, Hayden Christensen. Hayden like. Christensen versus Samuel L. Jackson with a white afro. Yes. I remember this. Yes. It's such a great movie. Oh my oh, god. It was so bad. Oh, who no, green with so... that piece of shit? I wonder. Why do these people keep getting jobs? Because <laughs> these movies keep making money. I don't know, man. Like, like. Uh, Kurt... Alex Kurtzman and Goyer, stop giving them work. Yeah, <laughs> Just stop it. Please. <laughs> they're, they're, they love ruining shit. We really don't need this. Yeah, okay, I'm looking at it here. If you go to the writing credits on Batman Begins, Bob mm -hmm. Kane is the characters because he owns Batman or made Batman. Obviously, yeah. And you have story by David S. Goyer, screenplay by Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer. So it's a yeah. quote unquote adapted screenplay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, oh, like I told you, no. I guarantee you that Nolan uh, probably changed everything about yep. the story. And uh, David has yes. got a paycheck, which is all he clearly cares about. So, of course, yeah, <laughs> Jesus, man, but, that man uh, is but, a yeah, gun so, for hire. Oh <sighs> yeah, I mean that's why he keeps getting work. Essentially, yep. that's that's why. But yeah, so <laughs> what what creative dignity? <laughs> Uh, reminds me of uh, the other asshole. Uh, what's his name? Mm, not Kurtzman. No, well, never mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you meant. The guy who yeah. was wrapped up in the uh, sexual assault scandal not too long ago. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yes. <laughs> We're at that point, man. Right. Uh, so Batman begins, because tangent aside, you know, yeah. tangent aside. It's... Tangent aside, tangent aside. We had to go we somewhere. To go somewhere. <laughs> so Batman begins. Uh, I think this is the first time that Michael Caine is included in a Nolan movie, isn't it? I don't think but he it's was. It's not in the Insomnia. only time. It was the first time. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the, the first time is what I meant yeah, to yeah. say. Oh, yeah, he wasn't no, in Insomnia. Yeah. So, and he's been in every movie since. Apparently, <laughs> uh, I think Dunkirk. He's not in that. But but yeah. yeah, he's not in Dunkirk. No, but he's in everything else. He's in everything else after Batman Begins. Michael Caine. Like, Michael Caine. <laughs> Right. So, and Rutger Hauer, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Gary Oldman, Tom Wilkinson. I mean, he really, he gathered a. a yeah. and this, but it is the third appearance for Mark Boone Jr., bless his heart. I love that dude. Boone Jr. What does he do? Massive beard guy. He's the oh, guy. Oh, he yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes. Because he course. went to Memento. Uh, yeah. He was the guy he who was, ran he was the, the clerk. Hotel. Yeah, yeah he, was the, he was the clerk uh, at the motel. You're absolutely right. I love that dude. Uh, he, he was also on The Mandalorian, which was awesome. So that and, was uh, 
the oh, very Killian underappreciated Murphy. Killian Murphy. Oh yeah, well, highly he used underappreciated. To be underappreciated. I, I think Peaky Blinders changed that man because he's making a fortune. Yeah, he should be, man. He deserves it. He's really good. But yeah, so Batman uh, Begins. Uh, do we really need to get too deep into it? It's a, an amazing Batman story. Probably one of the best Batman stories to ever be told, at least as, as an origin story. It's one of the best origin superhero yeah, stories I mean, I've ever seen. But here's the thing I will give them full credit for, is that if you're going to do the origin story again, because every single <laughs> version of Batman... <laughs> needs to do this. I don't know why they need to they do this. They had it in Joker in 2019, which is weird. I, I, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I just... What I really want is, like, I, I think they should do this for everything. I think the James Bond movies should open with a shot of James Bond being orphaned in different ways. Like, every movie, his, he, his parents die a new way. <laughs> in yeah, slow yeah, motion and with an orchestral score. Yeah, have Jeffrey Dean Morgan in one of them, and then yeah, just it's 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 Mister and Mrs. Bond falling off a mountain, Mister and Mrs. Bond being covered by snow, Mister and Mrs. Bond being shot by somebody, Mister and Mrs. Bond being killed by the Winter Soldier. Whatever you want. Yeah, and then you know, in in the wackier Bond movies, you know, being shot out of a cannon, being chopped up by a helicopter. Yeah, you know. Yeah, let, get let's creative. start with an origin story every time, just in case we forgot. Just in case. Uh, yeah. Uh, Linus Roach as Thomas Wayne did an amazing job, in my opinion. Uh, they they did it. Actually, what was, what was interesting with Batman Begins, and I don't think it gets credit for it, is although it does the origin story again, mm. which uh, ugh, for superheroes is just every three years now for some reason. Sorry, but yeah, all, I, all I have in my head right now, all I have in my head right now is Sean Connery looking at a cannon going, Martha! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why did you say that name? Bl- Blumfeld. My mother's <laughs> name. Why would you say that name, Mister Bond? <laughs> Twas my mother's name, Blofeld. Blofeld. <laughs> oh God. Right. Oh. So back on track. Batman Begins does a great thing where it uh, it does the origin story, but it actually tells a more in-depth story of who his parents were. Now, I'm guessing it was a time constraint, because the movie is two hours and 20 minutes, which oh, is man. quite significant. And they had to sort of tell an origin story, set up villains, and then you know have a whole third act uh, that, that plays out. But at the same time, they were able to throw in quite a few scenes with the parents, especially the father, uh, played again by Linus Roach, uh, where you sort of get a deeper understanding as to who Thomas Wayne was and why his parents had such a huge impact on him and his character, setting this sort of unreachable standard for Bruce Wayne to try to attain and why he would go to the lengths of becoming Batman to please his vision that his father had, and so on and so forth. Now, it could have gone I, I, I more. I personally into it. feel that it gets a bit heavy-handed. It is, and I'm and I'm thinking it has a lot to do with the time constraint because I don't think they gave them much more than two hours and twenty minutes. I think they had to push for the extra twenty minutes at the end there. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how much of this to blame on Goyer, how much to blame on the studio, but why do we fall down, Bruce? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I, we get it. <laughs> Move on. I mean, we, later on, when they're shouting. So, speaking of circular filmmaking, which no one yeah. excels at, 
that's one of the first shots, and it's also one of the last shots where Michael Caine tells uh, Christian Bale the same thing. Why do we fall mm. when he's at his lowest point? So it's a, it's a nice little it's circular true. thing. It's just cool. It is. It's just it's it's a slightly heavy-handed moment in the script that stands out agree. compared to the rest of it. I completely agree. And they sort of and and this and you can sort of see when you watch Batman Begins, which in my opinion is probably my my personal favorite of the Dark Knight trilogy, even though Dark Knight, I will say, is a better Ooh. movie in every regard. It is a better movie in every right. regard, but yeah. because of what it set up, uh, mm-hmm. I personally prefer Batman Begins. Uh, it's, it's my favorite of the of the three. I'm going to take a moment here because something needs to be mentioned because we haven't mentioned it so far because we've talked about the writing. We've talked about, you know, the con man. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is Batman Begins a flex for a first time action director. I mean, good grief. This guy's showing off some cinematography. The shot oh, with yeah. the bats coming down that hallway in the police station are unbelievable. Taken straight out of the comic book, by the way. Speaking of yeah, your I mean, yeah. but it's an he really, he really just showed off. Look, guys, look what I can do. <laughs> it's also worth mentioning now that we're getting into the more uh, budget-heavy movies that Christopher Nolan is one of the few directors that are working nowadays that still rely heavily on practical effects. He yep. almost refu- he tries to avoid CGI like the plague, and only uses it very sparingly. And one of the reasons why he mentions is because it, and I completely agree, is that it makes the movies more timeless. Hmm. Because CGI, obviously, as the years go by, they become more and more noticeable, and they kind of detract from the film experience. But practical effects always look good. And he's also one of the few directors still insisting on using film. True. He actually likes shooting on IMAX, which yeah, no. is why it's, most of his shots look so beautiful. Yeah, and I mean, so there's, there's good and bad for that. I mean, the one thing he has been given some criticism for, and it is visible in his movies occasionally, I was talking about how the fight cinematography. His actual fight scenes sometimes are a little lacking, mainly because when you shoot on film, you don't have the option to review footage which means if mm-hmm. he didn't see something himself the first time around, it's just done now. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So there's been a couple of moments where people have pointed out, like, people in ma- these big, like, Gotham City fight scenes where people are just randomly falling down. <laughs> Apropos of <laughs> yeah, kind of like, uh, Kind of like that uh, Last Jedi uh, fight scene. Oh, which yeah. On first viewing, looks amazing because it's just a spectacle. But then the minute you watch it again, you're just like, "Oh my god, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Where there's did that man. knife disappear? Yeah, why, is, why, is there, a... why is there people that are just tripping over themselves? There's a man in the back doing some kind of invisible nunchuck routine, and we don't know why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and yeah, it's also worth mentioning that, uh, like you were saying, this is this first foray essentially into like a action blockbustery movie yep. where you have a lot of fight choreography and Batman Begins has falls into a few pitfalls that a lot of uh, directors fall into and Nolan was no exception although some people try to argue away the reasons for it uh, I think you like the shaky cam shaky the cam illegible, the illegible fight se- yeah the really quick cutting in the fight sequences <clears throat> kind of detracts away from the overall choreography now some people claim that this was deliberate 
because it made him seem made the Batman seem more uh, predatory and invisible, like <sighs> uh, coming from the dark or whatever. But that feels more like a cop out than anything. That feels a bit like a cop out. And I mean, I think the, the the one thing we have to give credit to, and everyone's seen this, so I'm not gonna feel bad about spoiling. When the big twist of your movie is that Ken Watanabe is actually Liam Neeson, somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Of all the twists he's pulled, that one slightly cubs off shallow, let's be clear. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, funny you should mention twists, because that is something that Nolan is actually kind of known for now. Uh, he's become he's he's the the more successful Shyamalan, I would say, in that regard. Yeah, he's, he did what Shyamalan could not. Yes, maintain that track record. Yeah, he did it like once or twice, and then woo, really. Woo. But no, yeah, right uh, into Nolan, the uh, Avatar movie, right? And Nolan kind of maintained the the quality in his movies. So mm, in between his Dark Knight movies, he threw in some curveballs here and there. Right after oh, yeah. Batman Begins, you have one of my all-time favorite movies, The Prestige. I love that movie. I love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Every time I watch it, it's it's such an experience. Every single time. It's absolutely amazing. For anyone who hasn't seen The Prestige, by all means, do yourselves a favor and watch it. Not once, not twice, probably at least five times. It's an amazing movie. <laughs> Yeah, you need to get on board with it. And this is one of those movies where most of the time when a movie throws me a twist, I'll do what everyone else does. I'll just sit there going, huh, clever, well done. This thing here, it was like I saw the the rapture at the corner of my eye and I just had to turn as it attacked me going, clever girl. Well, exactly. I'm like, holy Mary. Exactly. Clever Boy, did this one take me for a ride. And, and what's amazing about this movie is that the more you see it, the more clues and and uh, the more little hints that you that you might have not noticed oh, yeah. the first time around become more visible. Uh, it is not a cheap twist. Not it a, is all there if you look for it. And, and it's funny because I, I don't, I don't want to spoil the movie, but yeah, don't, like don't from, from the first scene to the last scene, it's all there. <laughs> you just need to <laughs> just need to watch carefully, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing. He, it, it, the whole movie ba- is based around magicians. Yeah, and the entire film is a magic trick. Yeah, which exactly, is it's an amazing thing. Unbelievable. <laughs> It was so that that twist is so layered. It's an amazing, uh, amazing feat by Nolan. And this is a movie it, that it is near uh, the... he wrote uh, with his brother. So this is, this yeah. is uh, one of those that that has a lot of twists and turns because of that. His brother loves that as well. So when you have two of oh, those, yeah. when you no, have two great minds working on it, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've got a list of movies right now that I am insisting that I watch with my girlfriend, and this is near the top of the list. This is one that I definitely want to show her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one because that it is to people. It is so cerebral, and yet it is so accessible, and that is such a hard thing. Because a lot of people talk about a movie like Primer. Primer is great, don't get me wrong, but Primer is, you know, hard thinking. To be able to even follow half that movie, you need to have your brain fully in gear. Mm-hmm. This one here lulls you into a false sense of security. <laughs> Nolan loves doing that because because it's it's like what we were saying earlier. It's, it's the visual storytelling, which really mm. I mean, his, his visuals, like you were saying, the cinematography and the way he does the shots, the characters, the zoom ins, the 
the establishing shots are all so breathtaking that oh, when yeah. it comes time to actually and, and and he never really hides away the truth. He just veils it. You know what I mean? Like it's not lying to us. He just veils yeah, the I mean, truth. The, so the prestige. And he does that in all of his other movies, <sighs> that, uh, like I mean, Conception and Interstellar as well. Prestige, bless its heart. I'm not. I'm not going to say where or when, but in the beginning of the film, there is a shot. And if you know the film, you're looking at that, and it, it sends shivers up spine. But it's so innocu mm -hmm. innocuous, you don't even think about it. But it comes mm -hmm. right back at you the second the film is done, and you're like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> and it, and it, yeah, absolutely right. And it has probably uh, like the best performance that Hugh Jackman has given. I mean, second to it probably comes uh, Logan. Logan, yeah, yeah. And I, I think depending on what you're and, looking for, um, this and Logan draw. Sure. Sure, I'll I'll give it that. Yeah, mm. but but it is definitely one of the most memorable uh, Hugh Jackman performances that I have ever seen. Oh yeah, and you know Christian Bale, great, uh, obviously Michael Caine, but also pulls some pretty impressive uh, acting skills from Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson, who although are fantastic actresses in their own in, the, in their own right, David Bowie, they really shine here. Yes, I was about to get to that. David mm. Bowie has a pretty significant role in the movie and yes. an absolutely fantastic performance. You don't even know, like you, if you don't know this was David Bowie, you wouldn't even guess that this is not an actor essentially because <laughs> he's so good. Yeah. Again, again, he manages to take whatever the guys, whatever someone's bringing to the table and channel it mm -hmm. and use it and elevate it. And David Bowie's weirdness is here harnessed to make the character more believable. It's bizarre. It's kind of an. It, it is again, kind of a magic trick. Mm -hmm. If Christopher Nolan wasn't a filmmaker, he should have been Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and after the Prestige, uh, we mm. lead into the Dark Knight, which many consider the best superhero movie ever made. Uh, and I tend to agree on in most parts <laughs> at least yeah i think it for me it's one of those where it's it, i think if you're going to look at superhero movies as movies and not superhero experiences if you see what i mean mm -hmm. if you're not looking for a recreation of what if what it feels like to read a comic yeah because in that case you're not writer uh what was it vengeance or something spirit of vengeance, spirit of vengeance. Are the most oh. comic booky movie you will ever see <laughs> yep there are certain scenes in that movie that are um, straight out of beyond a comic book. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a shit movie. Oh, <laughs> it's truly, truly terrible. I think the most expensive thing in that movie was flying Nicolas Cage to Romania. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, yeah, I mean, Dark, but Dark Knight is, as a film, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. It is so much movie yes absolutely it's the same almost the same running length as the batman begins but it is so layered and dense and textured it's unbelievable how much is going on yeah in this and it's it's a very relentless movie from the from the opening scene oh, yeah. which is an establishing shot of gotham city and then all of a sudden you see a glass break and from that moment on the movie never lets off it's it's got its foot on the gas pedal and it just it's stuck there. 
Well, I mean, this is the thing. It isn't a, you know, it isn't a breakneck speed movie. It is just, it is. No, I'm talking in terms of. Was it someone? Yeah, but here, yeah, here's here's the thing. Someone had a wonderful um, example that they gave me, which is that there's a scene from Raging Bull with De Niro where the boxing match just continues and you can just see De Niro getting pounded and he keeps getting hit. And every time you think there's a gap or a break, another punch is coming from another side. That is this movie. Exactly. Every time you think there's breathing room, he hits you from another angle. Exactly. It's relentless in that regard. Absolutely right. Mm. It, it just never gives up and it just keeps pummeling the protagonist and us, the audience, <laughs> with... Uh, with uh, the villain's message, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the cold open, or I, I don't know if I want to call it the cold open, but the, the, the heist open, let's call it that, our, our first introduction to the Joker exactly, yeah, is, in and of itself, another movie that I want to watch, because it's unbelievable. And it is so much storytelling. Yeah, I think... It's, it, I think- you're absolutely right, and I think that high sequence, which is sort of like a short almost, mm. uh, because the movie sort of that that has its own setup and its own payoffs and all that stuff, and then the 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 rest of the movie sort of takes it in a different direction. You yeah. really see the roots of his next movie, Inception, in that in that oh, heist, because yeah. Inception is essentially a heist movie. It's a sci-fi heist yeah, movie, but a heist movie nonetheless. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, The Dark Knight, because it is, it is carrying so much weight into the party, because it is the follow-up to The Batman Begins, one of the biggest superhero releases of all time, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a person on Earth who was looking at Heath Ledger pre this movie and thinking this was going to be the, the performance. Yeah, I no, re- actually, they got... Uh, Christopher Nolan and uh, Warner Brothers in general got a lot of criticism for casting Heath Ledger. Oh, People were boy. not happy. They were like, "You're ruining our movie." <laughs> and this was this was one of the reasons why. I mean, I I was, although I kind of liked Heath Ledger in, in the in the more comedic roles, I never really mm. saw him as this. Although mm. my mindset at the time, and I was really young, I was just going, "Well, he is a funny guy. Maybe he can pull this off." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like as a Joker, me, I was thinking uh, the two Romero things and that kind I of remember stuff. that I had seen before this movie came out were Brokeback Mountain and Casanova in 2005. I had not seen either of those at the time. What I had seen was Ten Things I Hate About You and Oh my lord. Uh, yeah, and Knight's Tale. Oh yes, and I don't yeah, I'd seen the Knight's Tale and I'd also seen The Patriot. The Patriot, yes, he is on Patriot too. Exactly. Yeah. Although that's more Mel you know, Gibson oriented. That's Gibson. Yeah, but it might like, yeah, no, Knight's Tale, perfect. Casanova, kind of the same thing. Brookback Mountain, more serious. And I'm literally sitting here thinking to myself, wait a second. You've taken the dude who is kind of a modern Michael Keaton and you've put him as the Joker character, not the Batman character. What are you doing? I mean, you know, looking back at the 1989 Batman movie, Keaton would have done a great Joker. (laughs) He would. (laughs) Especially that one scene where he's like, I want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love it. He is so weird in that movie. (laughs) Oh, Michael Keaton, man. That's that's one of the reasons why I think Michael Keaton is my favorite uh, live-action portrayal of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Altogether. Oh no, I agree. 
I, yeah. I have to agree. I think he does a better job of balancing that than uh, Bale did. Because I think Bale yeah. does a fantastic Batman. I think he does a weird Wayne. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that so for the Dark Knight movies, Bale mm. does a brilliant job. But yeah, no, I agree. As as a character, if we're just exploring the character in their entirety, um, like I wouldn't put Michael Keaton in the Dark Knight. I wouldn't. It, it wouldn't work. Essentially. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it would be a very different get, movie. <laughs> you want to get nuts, and then Joker just goes yes and shoots him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which kind of what happened in '89. But anyways, uh, um, true. Actually, yeah. Actually, he takes out the ridiculous gun and shoots him in the in the chest. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, yeah. So so Michael Keaton wouldn't work in these movies. At least not mm. the character, but as a nope. character of uh, Bruce Wayne uh, slash Batman, uh, the Keaton portrayal is the one that I think uh, is the one that resonates the most with me. Is the one that's the yeah. most memorable of of all the live action performances. No, I have to agree with that, and I, I think again, I don't. I think Bale gets a lot of roughhousing because of the voice and because of the suit that he had to wear and all the rest of it, but he does a really good job with it. Yeah, I think he and, does an amazing but I mean, job. The thing you also got to give full credit to Nolan for getting back to him, he has a deep cast. Oh, I mean, yeah. you're looking at the lineup here. Killian Murphy, Gary Oldman, Morgan Aaron Freeman, Eckhart. Michael Caine, Aaron Eckhart in his best role in anything ever. Yes, yes, absolutely. Nestor Carbonell. He does a Eric great Roberts. job. Eric Roberts, yeah. We were talking about Eric Roberts in our Inherent yeah. Vice. Eric Roberts is amazing in this movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a deep, solid cast he brings to the party. And he does this for everything. He's always making sure it's a deep cast. And that helps push push everybody. I mean, hell, I'll even give Maggie, Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal a bit of a shout-out here for that. Yeah. Who, uh, if you're, if you hated the... Um, what do you call it? Fifty Shades movies. Oh, but, but like, but want to see a good portrayal of that? Watch the movie The Secretary. The Secretary, yeah. And what's the name of the dude? I can't remember. Uh, I'll have to look it up. He's, he's the guy who voiced Ultron in the Marvel movies. Uh, yeah, James Spader. James Spader, who has a great voice. Ooh. Yes, yes, he does. He's also in the show Blacklist, right? He is the main star of Blacklist, yeah. Yeah, I've seen the commercials. Even his I've, seen the I've seen the commercials. <laughs> I think I saw season one. It was like, meh, fair enough. Right. So yeah, and so it gave a gave a post uh, what do they call it? Post hominous? Yeah. Yeah. Post ominous uh Oscar to Heath Ledger, because he yep. unfortunately passed away before uh, the release of this movie. Yep. Um, he released two other movies uh, with him in it after this that are also, if you're interested, uh, really good movies in my opinion, especially um, oh, what is it called? Uh, I'm Not There, which is I'm Not There, a, which is very good. Yeah, and... I'm Not There is a, is a weird... Christian Bale is also in that by the way. Uh, it's, it's a weird yep. uh, sort of almost surreal uh, story or biopic of uh, Bob Dylan. 
Hmm. And different actors play different facets of Bob Dylan's life, and they sort of mesh them together. So it's it's a really interesting movie, and I would highly recommend if you're if you're if you like music. Excuse me. Tilda Swinton's in that too, right? Yes, she actually plays Bob Dylan. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then the next movie. Oh, sorry. Go. Yeah, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, which yes, which began as a originally just a Heath Ledger project, which then turned into several actors playing him because he died in production. Yes, uh, he passed away in production, and so you have ac- actors like uh, Johnny Depp and uh, uh, Dustin who, Hoffman, who, uh, I believe. Dustin, did did he do it? Didn't he? Uh, I'm pretty sure he did. I'm pretty sure he's in there somewhere. I mean, the thing uh, I will yeah. give credit to. Is that, uh, from what I've understood from uh, some kind of news source, is that all of these actors stepped in to, you know, save this production by playing the character, but none of them took higher than standard union fare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, here, here I go. So Johnny Depp, Jude Law, mm. Colin Farrell, yep. all stepped in to uh, to fulfill oh, the role. Right. Of, and uh, yeah, because Dustin Hoffman played was already in the film as the older version of the character, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, no, all those three actors took uh, only union pay, so they all got paid the same as like the extras did, because they yeah, no, because it was, they didn't it was a, profit. It was really, yeah, it was a really nice uh, homage to uh, Ledger, and uh, although the movie, we, I mean, we can, I don't know, have you seen it? Uh, no, <laughs> I never no, did. We, we, we might, we might do an episode on it at, at one point. It's an interesting yeah. movie for sure. Okay. Um, but but it's it's more an homage to leisure ledger than anything else, and and it's sort of a really beautiful way of of, uh, of sort of sending almost like a thank you to the to the yeah. honoring actor. his memory. Exactly, that's mm. what I was looking for. Thank you. And this leads us in, like we were saying, to Inception, which is oh. the heist movie. I Inception. love this movie so much. Oh yes. It is. It's really hard to have favorites in Nolan's repertoire because he has all of his movies are so great. Uh, but but yeah, mm. Insomnia obviously underrated. So I highly recommend mm. Memento, one of his one of like the best breakout movies you'll ever see for a director. Yeah, just an awesome kind of like what you can do with what you have exactly. kind of movies. But his movies that came. After so, in between the the Dark Knight movies, the Prestige after Batman mm. Begins, Inception after the Dark Knight, and Interstellar after Dark Knight Rises, mm. all those three are I hold those very dearly to my heart. Uh, and Inception is obviously one of the top ones, I should say, of the three. <laughs> oh no, I mean Inception blew me away because Inception is Dark Knight money being used to explore Christopher Nolan's mind. And what an interesting place it is. Yes. Like we mentioned earlier, this movie, according to Nolan, took him seven years, no, sorry, 11 years to write. 11 years. Yeah. yeah. And he's the sole writer, unlike uh, Prestige, where it's him and his brother. The same with uh, yep. Dark Knight. So they kicked Goyer out and they put Nolan's brother in, <laughs> which was a <laughs> wise move. Which was a mighty wise move. This is a solo Christopher Nolan uh, writing credit. And by God, mm. does he do an amazing job? I mean, let's also give him like full credit for saving Leonardo DiCaprio from you know from falling into the fate of having no career. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, actually, uh, before this movie, so so DiCaprio had obviously a big sort of um, what do you call it? Like a uh, a slump. Yeah, a slump. It, it kind of happened after uh, the rise of Titanic. He released mm. very few big movies at the time. I think Gangs of New York was the biggest one. Yep. Uh, but all these movies didn't really catch on uh, until oh, you no. have uh, Revolution. Well, Island. Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have him. He never really went completely obscure. Uh, because right. he was Gangs of New York, Catch Me If You Can, which I love. I love that movie. It's such a good movie. Yep, I agree. Uh, I have one of the agree. best uh, Tom Hanks movies as well. Oh, and, and one of the best DiCaprio performances, I have to say, as well. Uh, as Frank Aviator, Jr., real dude. Yes. Aviator, which is a really, really good uh, biopic on Howard Hughes. Uh, okay. It's all right. Departed, Departed is, awesome. is great. It's 2006. Really good movie. Yep. Uh, but he had a relatively smaller role because it's a it's like a ensemble cast of uh you had marky yeah. mark still he, he, is, he is the lead i would say yeah sure he is the lead uh but you have also uh jack nicholson matt damon uh yeah. mark Wahlberg, mm. uh and many many others <laughs> uh, uh martin sheen yeah. is also in that movie so yeah yeah, then he did. Then he did a slight misstep, but he did Blood and Diamond, which I don't appreciate very much. And Body of Lies, which were eh, very yeah. eh movies. Mm. Then he did Revolutionary Road. Yeah, Revolutionary sure Road is you've seen it. So, God, that movie's depressing. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Oh, oh mercy! Yeah, amazing movie. But I would never. It's a movie that you you need to be in such a specific mind space to kind of want to watch. Yeah, yeah. A Revolutionary Road kind of falls on the same. Uh, Park as because we were we were talking in terms of the prestige about the best performances from Hugh Jackman and one of my, one of my other favorite performances is the movie The Fountain by Darren Aronofsky. Oh, I thought you were going to say Prisoners. I love Prisoners. I, I, I yeah, we'll, but again, we'll get, same we'll, thing. We'll get into that in a later time. But but The Fountain, that's sort of the same thing. Actually, yeah, The Prisoners too, uh, where it's a movie that's so macabre and depressing because it deals yeah. with really heavy subject matters. Like the fountain yeah. is essentially yeah. a story about death. But it's told yeah. so beautifully that it's like that that it's it's one of my favorite movies, but it's you can't help but you know, I mean it's it is essentially a movie about death. It's really hard to recommend for people to watch because it's like you don't want to depress people. <laughs> Same thing yeah, Revolutionary Road, though, I, I never, ever, sh- never recommend Revolutionary Road to a married couple, ever. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. That, you might have blood on your heads if you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> oh, uh, mercy. Yeah. Then Shutter Island. No, but you're right, Shutter Island. I think Shutter Island gets the credit, and then Inception took it, on, took it home. Yeah. So, oh, there's a short. Yeah, the Cobalt Job. I haven't seen that. I'm sorry, but I'm just looking at the IMDb page, and I saw Wild Aid, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Jackie Chan. And I don't know what I'm going to be trying to find later. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's it's just almost like a commercial for Wild Aid. Yeah, but I'm really hoping it's the two of them talking together, because that's a conversation I've never seen, and I want to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, tangent aside, back on Inception. Inception, yes. 
the heist movie. It's a sci-fi movie talking about dream worlds and dreams within dreams. And it's probably one of the most complicated and most talked about movie endings ever. Yep. And it is a visual feast. It is is such a spectacle, this movie. And it all holds up. I mean, it was made in 2010. If they had made it now, it'd probably still win an Oscar with these effects. I mean, it's unbelievably good looking. Absolutely. If you didn't have the pleasure and privilege, I would say, to watch this Mm. movie in a theater, uh, then find a friend, or maybe it's yourself, uh, Mm. with a humongous television and kick-ass sound system, because you're going to want to watch this in, like, and this is also released in 4K not too long ago, watch it in 4K. Uh, because the and HDR because the visuals are just absolutely amazing. I saw this in IMAX. Yeah, me too. In London, and it I blew my mind. Jaw drop. Oh. I saw yeah, I saw this in the US also in IMAX because I was living then I was living in Houston at the time. Mm. Absolutely jaw dropping. The movie is just incredible. Yeah, and and let's and let's just give full credit again. You know, he does a deep cast. And he gets great performances. Some of these people didn't need the help. You know, you have Tom Berenger, you have Killian Murphy, you have Ken Watanabe, Tom Hardy. These guys are great. You managed to get a solid lead performance out of Ellen Page. Well done to you, sir. Hey, Juno. She did pretty good on Juno. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I a different, that's what I said, like a solid leading role. Yeah. Not, a, not a lighthearted nothing. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, absolutely love that actor. He uh, He's great oh, yeah. in almost everything he does. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Looper. Uh, excuse me, Looper, Looper, Looper. yeah, Looper, and uh, mm. oh, no, he's in he's in a lot of things. He's in uh, that biking movie, which is really cool, Five Hundred Days of Summer, which I love. Oh my god, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Don Juan and the the, the, the little cancer fifty fifty with Seth Rogen, pretty good movie. Fifty fifty, yeah, 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 I remember that. And he did Snowden, which was really good. If you're into political. Uh, I haven't watched it. I I like political drama, so you know, <laughs> so I really enjoyed stuff. <laughs> but yeah, so um, so yeah, this is this is the quintessential heist movie. If you if you like heist movies, yeah. If you like uh, like uh, what is it called the uh, uh, the score or or those kinds of things, this is definitely gonna... sneakers. You what a movie called Sneakers with Robert Redford? Fantastic heist movie. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh my god! Get around to it, man. So I might, I might have to. <laughs> uh, but yes, and Robert Redford versus Ben Kingsley. Come on! Oh, really? I love both of those. Yeah. That's amazing. All right, I have to watch it. We have to watch it. It's awesome. It has. It has. Uh, who is who's in it? It's got uh, James Earl Jones in it. Oh my god! Uh, I, I, it's just. I think I'm trying to remember who else is in it, but it's an awesome cast. Anyway, moving on, moving on. And this is the movie that sort of introduced me to uh, Marion Cotillard. Oh yeah, she's great. She's amazing, and and I mean, watching her uh, filmography after this, uh, mm. she's amazing in all almost all of her movies. But yeah, yes, pretty much. this pretty much introduced me to her, and she's fantastic. Absolutely, uh, highly, highly recommend this movie, and praise to all the actors involved. Yeah, this is one of those we're just gonna just say watch it. Yes, you know, don't bother listening to us. Just watch the damn thing. Exactly. <laughs> Get to it. And after a short hiatus, uh, mm-hmm. and actually, so 
it's worth mentioning. So Nolan started in 98 with the movie Following and yes. had his big break in 2000 with Memento. But yep. in the past 20 years, he's only released uh, how many is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten movies. He has a ten movie, and he will be releasing his eleventh now. Uh, I, I'm talking about uh, feature length movies. So ten oh, yeah. feature length movies, releasing his eleventh, uh, hopefully this year with Tenant. Yeah. So he doesn't have a very huge filmography, uh, but all of his movies have been huge successes. Oh, yeah. No, he's been knocking it out of the park every single time. Exactly. Which is impressive. Very, very impressive. Okay, so Dark Knight Rises. Yes. After a short hiatus from 2010 to 2013, Dark Knight Rises gets released, which is the conclusion to the Dark Knight trilogy. I don't hate this movie as much as other people. I actually really, really like it. I think Ah. it's a good end to the story. Yes, there are uh, some gripes here and there, but overall, I think it's a uh, it's a great movie. The- I think it's a good one. I think it is the only thing it fails on is a comparison to Inception and the Dark Knight. I was about to say the same thing. The only reason yeah. why this movie gets a lot of hate, in my opinion, is because it was followed by the Dark Knight and Inception, where both of those movies are just such exceptional movies that this one sort of falls just short of that. But in all other aspects, yeah. it would be considered. Uh, it had this come right after Batman Begins, it would have still been seen as a an amazing movie. But the problem is that those other two are, are so elevated compared to everything else that's out there that it's it's hard to follow those yeah, up. I, I think the other problem it had is that it was kind of it wasn't a film that lent itself well to the modern age of internet criticism. Because it had elements in it that, while they work very well in the movie, when isolated, they do come across as quite silly. Uh, please, uh, so, some examples. Okay, the, the, the three that really... I mean, one of them was a consistent issue that happened with all these movies is people making fun of the Batman voice. Mm-hmm. It was something very instantly parryable. So it kept kind of ending up part of being the joke circuit. Then you have, on top of that, your main villain... Who I do love Tom Hardy in that movie. I think he does an amazing villain performance as Bane. But if you're just listening to him talk, he does sound like Sean Connery trapped in a tin can. Yeah, actually, funny you mentioned that. Just as a side note, his uh, he did an accent. He based it off some uh, bare knuckle boxer, an Irish bare knuckle boxer, I think, hmm. uh, th- uh, that he was quite fond of, and his while filming and you will actually notice this if you watch it uh, a little cl- if you watch a little closer the next time you see this movie uh, is that all his lines were ADR mm. because they were recorded after uh, after filming because they were so illegible when they recorded him during filming <laughs> so they had to ADR his voice yes Batman I was burned <laughs> from this I wonder what would make first oh <laughs> Your spirit, whatever it was, I can't remember. But, but I mean, the one that I also love with this is that in interview afterwards, Christopher Nolan was talking about uh, Tom Hardy, and he said he was now, after having worked with him so long to master how to act with only his eyes, he was now legitimately terrified of the man. <laughs> Interesting. 
Tom Hardy had such a incredibly intense stare by the end of this movie that Nolan didn't almost want to look him in the eye. Yeah, I mean, Tom Hardy has sort of uh, fallen into the trap that a lot of great actors fall into, which is they try to do, they try to one up themselves every time, and that leads to more oh, yeah. and more ridiculous prestige, prestige, prestige. Yeah, more and more ridiculous roles, uh, but. If you want to see a Tom right. Hardy performance, so so I think, for example, that in the movie Revenant, Tom Hardy was more deserving of an Oscar than uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Even though DiCaprio deserved an Oscar for earlier yeah. roles, for that specific movie, Tom Hardy does an absolutely amazing job. But if you want to see a movie that is one hundred percent reliant on Tom Hardy's performance and is has a single set. <clears throat> With a mm. single actor, essentially, <laughs> it's the movie yeah, Loki. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, of course. I was wondering where you were going with this. Loki is amazing, and he, the fact that he was able Loke to pull so that great. off just shows you how not just great, but how absolutely out of this world this Tom Hardy is as an actor. The fact that he was able okay. I'll tell you what. Actually, I'm going to up this. Here's what you do. You do a double feature. You watch Loke and then immediately watch Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. Just get a comparison of range. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. That's that's a good one, actually. That's a really good comparison. Now, now that I understand where you're going with it. <laughs> yeah, no, because then you can see the, the how multifaceted he is as an actor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is so yeah. Dark Knight Rises, the second outing with uh, Mar Marianne Cotillard with um, Nolan. Yep. Uh, and she uh, does a, again a fantastic job. She does a fantastic job. Kind of screwed over by the script, unfortunately. Yes. Especially that death scene, yeah. which was just <laughs> that whole movie had a had a script issue, to be especially honest. But I get at the end, yes. Yeah, but the problem was that it wasn't written this way originally. It was originally originally written to have the Joker character. Of course, they couldn't do that anymore, so a rewrite was required. So the production got delayed, and a script yeah. was needed post haste. Yeah, rumors were that it was supposed to be Joker and Talia Al Ghul, mm -hmm. uh, and it was supposed to sort of round up the the whole trilogy in a neat bow, where you know you set up. Uh, the Al Golds in the first movie, you set up Joker in the second, and then you sort of have the big uh, splash in the third. Yep. Um, and due to Heath Ledger's uh, passing, they had to rewrite it. And as we've mentioned earlier, you know Nolan takes the writing process incredibly seriously, and he spends really, really long mm -hmm. time in his movies. Uh, you know, for example, Inception with eleven years. Uh, you know, he likes to spend years. Yeah, he he likes to spend. I mean, mo most writers would spend months. Uh, Goyer probably spends his a week. time, <laughs> but most writers spend months months on their uh, on their stories. Uh, Nolan is the kind that spends years. Just just planning alone <laughs> takes him a long time, and so the fact that they had to they had to release in twenty twelve because it was getting too late. They had to they had to reach that release schedule and rewrite everything and all that. I think it really put uh, a damper in the story overall. But the fact that they were able to yep. pull off what they did is still a testament to Nolan as a director, in my opinion. Because like I mentioned, yeah, like because like I mentioned, had this been a standalone or not compared to his two earlier movies, yeah, no, this would I still be agree. considered as one of the best superhero movies ever. Uh, but the fact that 
it sort of comes under the Dark Knight in that regard, sort of undermines it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a really good film. I think the action set pieces are great. I think they actually improved a lot of the fight choreography for this movie. They apparently made the suit much more usable. So, I mean, they did a good job. Improved fight choreography. They apparently made the suit much more usable. And yeah, I think it's a, it is a good film. It just suffers from comparison. Yeah. And this leads us pretty nicely into his next movie, which came out two years after The Dark Knight Rises, which was Interstellar. Mm. <clears throat> Interstellar, my probably my favorite or second favorite sci-fi movie. It's hard comparing it to 2001 and Space Odyssey. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of where the comparison has to go. I am not as huge fan of this one as you are. Uh, I do really like it. I think it's great. I just think it gets a bit... <sighs> the ending for me has... Yes. Issues. I agree. And I think for me, that kind of undercuts the rest of the movie to the degree that it loses. It, it actually, like, you're watching the movie, you're watching the movie, and it's there, it's there, it's there, and then it kind of just, right at the last moment, drops a couple of ranks. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I also have two complaints with the movie. Uh, one being the overemphasis of love being sort of this almost metaphysical thing. Yeah. And yep. the ending. I, I completely agree that it's sort of you had this really interesting mystery and this really awesome story and a very impactful emotionally and, and also uh, physically, but then it doesn't quite reach a satisfying ending in that regard. I think it, it tried too hard to go for the Hollywood happy ending and that sort of undermined what they were building towards. Well, the, the story goes that what actually happened is that this was a story and a film originally written to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Makes sense. Which somehow ended up in the hands of the Nolans. And the problem is that Steven Spielberg is the heartstring specialist. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure I can guarantee that Christopher Nolan isn't just a supercomputer in a human flesh body. <laughs> Does the man have a heart? Really? I don't well, know. I'm not well, sure. I will say that the the one scene that is incredibly emotional... Uh, I mean, there are there are a lot of emotional scenes sprinkled throughout, but the one that gets, I think, the most, um, uh, like, it's put in the limelight the most is the scene, mm. which is about halfway through the movie, where you know time dilation has caused uh, several years to pass for some, while uh, for his for his children, yeah, while only being weeks, if not maybe months, for him, and just seeing that time passage and seeing sort of. Despite trying to do the right thing, he's actually hurt the things that he was fighting for more, essentially. Yes. And that, that sort of injustice is what causes that scene to be very memorable and very emotional. Um, but mm -hmm. I think I agree with and you then, that, that the other scenes don't quite live up to that particular one. Like that yeah, one it just feels a little bit emotionally thing. numb. Yeah. And that for me is a big problem in a movie that is so, especially when you make the ending center so much about that emotion. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, I think another good movie to sort of compare this to, and it also stars Matt Damon, because this stars Matt Damon mm. as well, is The Martian. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is also, so, so both Interstellar and The Martian, uh, probably The Martian even more so, are very, very science fact uh, rather than science fiction. 
um, where a lot of the the sciency things that you hear in Interstellar and uh, hear and see in Interstellar and in The Martian are actually real. Uh, probably The Martian even more so, because that's something that's actually possible, and scientists have confirmed. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, the thing that will, the, the one great fact about Interstellar is that when you see the black hole in the movie, because of course there's a black hole, uh, that is an actual supercomputer rendering, not an artistic impression. They mm -hmm. added a little bit of details, but when it created this weird halo effect, they took it to the physicist who wrote the kind of the uh, paper that they based the model off, and he took one look at it and he thought, holy Christ, I'd never thought that would happen. Yeah, and then now, yeah, absolutely right. And now, years later, yeah. we have an actual image of a black hole, and it looks incredibly similar. Yeah, they did a really they did good a job. really good <laughs> job building that model. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love stuff like that. But again, for me, that movie, I like it. I think it's just fine. It just isn't quite there with the rest of like the prestige or Inception. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. Um, I, I see where you're getting at. Uh, now, again, when you hear us talk ill of some of his movies, uh, just know that ha ha if any of these movies are just standalone and compared to every other director, will still be considered masterpieces. I think. Oh yeah, no, completely. Would agree. No, no, no. Yeah, know. it's just that compared to his to Nolan's other movies, because they're all so amazing, uh, you are going to get some mm. nuances. And and I completely agree with in terms of Interstellar, where it doesn't quite reach the heights of the prestige and Inception, uh, and it's the lowest of the three in my in my ranking, if you will. Uh, yes. Where I kind of I, I find it hard choosing between the prestige and Inception, but I know for sure that Interstellar is below them both. Yes, I'll agree with that. I think I can I would put them exact same ranking. I think they're just all three are excellent movies. Two of them are clearly winners. One of them is just that that little touch below. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and li like I was mentioning, my, my two biggest gripes are, of course, the the emphasis of love, which, mm -hmm. considering how much science fact is in the movie, that sort of just puts the little like what <laughs> in my yeah, mind. Yeah, come on, guys, yeah. really. And then uh, yeah, it's very like Hollywoody, you know. <laughs> Uh, but and yeah, and the the ending, which sort of because you have this amazing build up and it doesn't quite reach uh, the heights that we were hoping it would reach. Yeah, and that but, leads us then to Dunkirk. Yeah, so he takes us he takes us on a journey, right? So first, it's hmm. like early nineteenth uh, century uh, magicians in the Prestige, yes. and then we go into otherworldly yet kind of modern contemporary setting and inception yeah and then they take us way into the future and space the final frontier frontier and interstellar and then way back down to earth and second world war uh almost uh you could almost call this like a almost documentary style <laughs> a almost. movie i mean yeah it's, it's very work. single place single time kind of yes <laughs> oh uh, excuse me Continuing his work with the likes of Tom Hardy and Killian Murphy, uh, bringing in some fresh blood, like uh, the lead played by Fionn Whitehead, and like yeah, you Fionn mentioned Whitehead. earlier, a uh, an actual uh, as a Jonas brother, <laughs> right? No, is he a Jonas brother or is a One Direction? I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> but it's one of those boy bands, uh, the neo boy yeah. bands. <laughs> 
uh, uh, one of them. And, and they actually do a, a pretty decent job, all of them. I mean, Nolan is able to pull amazing performances from all those actors. So, oh, yeah, Mark yeah. Rylance as well, who's amazing. He's a, he's one of those vet guys. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Park. Yes, yes, hell yes. Um, How do you feel about this movie? This is, the, this is the one that kind of splits people a bit. I really liked it. I, I didn't yeah. have the chance to watch it in theaters, but I did, oh, I did. get the Blu-ray 4K collection, and that's when I finally mm -hmm. saw Dunkirk, uh, the, the Nolan 4K collection, which I highly recommend for any fans of Nolan to, to get, because, my God, this, this movie is really pop in 4K. Uh, and Dunkirk is no, no exception. Uh, so, I think what so Nolan in all his movies does this weird like nonlinear storytelling. He makes his timelines. Mm -hmm. He has circular storytelling a lot in his movies, and he sort of does here too. But I think a lot of the gripes with people is that this movie, uh, and I'm gonna pull a, a comparison here that you might not like, uh, right. similar to the Witcher series, where you have multiple <laughs> timelines. But no way to distinguish between the, the the different timelines. No, 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 no. Here's the thing: in The Witcher, they give you no information. Dunkirk, the opening shots of each separate timeline gives a small uh, written yes, indication agree. of what your timeline is. I will agree. Yeah, I I, I forgot that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Where where you're actually told uh, uh, what's happening. Uh, so, but you have you have it, three separate timelines. You have one that that lasts about a week which is the the main the main protagonist played by uh Fionn Whitehead I believe is how you say his name who doesn't hasn't acted in a lot he acted in a miniseries right before Dunkirk and that was basically it so he was really fresh for Dunkirk and he does an amazing job i mean he has almost no lines in the movie but is able to just through body language and facial expressions express mm. all you need to know and he does an amazing job at doing that at showing you the horrors of war and sort of the the will to survive at any moment yep so yeah i just i just had it had to give him credit but yeah so you have you have that timeline which lasts about a week i believe and uh, then you I have think that i think from whatever i remember it is you have oh come on what is it in my head now i think you have because you have him and i think that's like a day a day and a like two, oh, okay. two or three yeah. days yeah, and then he has the mark, days. which is yes. even shorter. Shorter, I think. Or yeah, I think Fionn Whitehead is in the one that's three days. I think uh, Mark Rylance is the one that's in thirty hours. Or and then yeah, one you have uh, Tom Hardy, which have, is just an hour. Yeah, one hour. I think that's yeah, one hour, one day, one week. That might be right. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's how he put it up, but I I, I might be wrong. But it, 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 I mean, essentially, you have like. The the Fionn Whitehead the, the longest the longest stretch of time passes. Then you have the Mike, Mark Mark mm. Rylance and another actor who I like from the movie Killing of a Sacred Deer, a young actor. I forget his name. Oh. Is it Barry? Is that yeah Barry Cogan? Yes, great job, Cogan. Cogan, yes, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Mm. So him and Mark uh, in on the boat, uh, which is a different timeline. And then you have the the planes with uh, Tom Hardy, which is another separate timeline. And uh, yeah, he, yeah, all those sort of interweave. And here here's where I would give Nolan credit over, say, something like the Witcher series. So <laughs> so not only does he have the little written text at the start of everyone, which I completely forgot about. You're absolutely right. He also has mm. certain 
visual cues as to when something happened. So a good indication is when the plane, uh, when the German plane falls, uh, when they're fighting with uh, Tom Hardy, and then it falls in the yes. water and it just stuck there. And then earlier in the movie, you see the boats with Mark and Barry uh, uh, drive by, or is that what you call a boat? Is it drive by or sail by? Uh, sail by. I think sail. Yeah. I don't think it's drive by yeah. the boat because you're not yeah. driving. You're not also uh, picking up food or shooting someone. Uh, so it's not a drive by. No, usually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they sail by a, a, a fallen plane and then you sort of see where that came from. And so it's sort of a yes. really neat uh, trick that he does with just pure mm -hmm. visual. There's no, there's, no, there's no one that mentions anything. It's just pure visual storytelling, which I absolutely yeah. love. And it keeps you grounded. It keeps you aware of what's happening. Yes. So I actually like this movie. Uh, I know it gets uh, it splits sort of the fan base a little bit, but I I, I think yeah. the performances, all of them are really really strong. Uh, one that we didn't mention, uh, what's his name? Oh, he's a he's actually a really good director. Uh, remind me, what's his name? Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, he's in this. Yeah, the guy Kenneth directed Branagh, Thor. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, he did. He directed Thor. He directed Hamlet. Yeah, <laughs> and I he's think a, he was a Shakespearean actor uh, turned director. Yeah, and I think he was also involved in the remake of uh, Murder on the Orient, Orient Express. I believe he, he was is Poirot. He's Poirot. Yeah, Perot. okay, interesting. He's Poirot and director. Yeah, that's his show, man. Interesting. All right, cool. I'll have to watch that at some point. It's not bad. I've I quite enjoyed old. it. It's got Johnny Depp in it, and you in in the best possible way because Johnny Depp doesn't make it. Oh, okay, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> it's the um, only way I can get people to watch a movie with Johnny Depp anymore. <laughs> hey, Johnny Depp got really, really screwed over with this latest controversy with Amber Heard. Yeah, the I know. I heard. I, I understand. Yeah, the guy deserves I, a break. <laughs> I think the guy's still not a great human being, judging by all no, other information, but... <laughs> Johnny Depp is a whole other issue, him as a human being. But, yeah. uh, but in terms of the controversy, he deserves a break on that last one. Yeah, Just the maybe. last one. Other, yeah, other ones still withholding. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I recommend Dunkirk. I think it's a movie that works... I think it looks gorgeous. I think the sound design is out of this world. Um, I think it yeah, helps itself to a slightly more reasonable... Mm. It holds itself to a reasonable hour, 45 minutes. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I just think it's a really solid movie. And I think yeah, it's considering worth how little... the historical context. Yes, absolutely. And and considering how little dialogue is in the movie, it's it's a very much a visual spectacle. Uh, they had, oh, yeah. they had so many extras in this movie, and it's very, very clear that all those people are real. Uh, <laughs> unlike, yeah. uh, unlike a no movie CGI like people. Uh, no, <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no CGI. And, yeah, Nolan is not really a fan of CGI, anyway. So, no, he's not. Now, I, I, as tempted as I am to talk about the movie coming out called Tenet, I actually think we should leave it because I think that's something we can talk about when it comes out. Because I, it's definitely a movie we're both going to see. Yeah, there's I've no way we're not seeing this. Of course, I, but I've actually avoided, and I, and I tend to do this generally, but for this specifically, mm. I've avoided. I haven't even seen a teaser. I've I barely know who's in it. 
uh, and I, all I've seen is maybe a poster, and that's by accident. <laughs> the so. only thing that I know about it is that, that it has Robert Pattinson and Denzel Washington's son. Yeah, John David Washington. That's the one. That's the yeah, only thing was, I know about this, really. Wasn't he in Black Klansman? Black Klansman, yeah. He's the, he is the yeah. guy who does the voice, and he was really yes. good in that. Right, exactly. Oh, so I'm actually really looking forward to that. Then. Yeah, yeah, no, Nolan, Nolan deserves a roundup. He is, he is, and I, and I honestly do believe that he will be uh, seen as one of the greatest directors of our time, and one of the greatest directors of our yep. time as well. And he'll be up there with the with the likes of yeah. Rick and uh, and Tarantino and Scorsese and and the like. Has he won a direct best director yet? I can't remember. I don't think he has, to be honest. Uh, I don't think he has. I wonder what he has to do to do it because he he must be losing his mind. Um. Yeah. I mean, what he needs to commit some kind of blood sacrifice to the Academy gods or something because clearly he needs all the help he can get. Yeah, I think the closest they got to winning awards is uh, best screenplay for Memento, um, oh which I don't know if they even won. Uh, but but yeah, he got he got that at least at least I know of the nomination. I, I'm not entirely sure if they won it or not. Uh, they might have. I know they won a lot. His movies win lots of technical Oscars. I yeah, don't know if they win I, for I, anything I, else. Inception won a te- uh, an Oscar as well for uh, hmm. uh, for for, a tech- for the technical aspect. I think because because of the whole yeah. you know that rotating room that they built and all that stuff. The, uh, they had a lot oh, of yeah yeah practical effects. effects. Absolutely insane practical effects. One thing I do want to mention yeah. in terms of Nolan and his way of directing is that a lot mm-hmm. of directors, for example, will direct a scene, let's say it's a conversation, and they'll just have a medium shot of, of one character and then another medium shot of the other, and they just switch back and forth as they're having a conversation. Uh, sometimes yes. pulling out a wide or something like that, or a close-up mm-hmm. if they want to explain show facial expression. Nolan, on the other hand, rarely leaves the camera still. It's That's almost true. always in motion. And uh, very famously in movies like uh, The Dark Knight and also in a lot of his other movies like The Prestige and so on, where he does the rotating camera around the characters, oh, yeah. like in the, uh, the scene where he has the knife towards uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's face. Oh yeah, I remember this now. And the camera just keeps spinning around them. Or another scene from The Dark Knight where Batman, um, <clears throat> Aaron Eckhart, and Gordon, uh, by played by Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman and when yeah. all three of them are talking on the roof, and the camera keeps spinning in one direction, and then the minute a resolution occurs, it starts spinning in the other direction, <laughs> which is a really neat which like, is- directorial trick. It's a neat trick, and it's also a way of showing off just how good your lighting team is. Oh, 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 yeah, definitely. Oh, no. So, yeah, he, he, loves, he loves having, uh, and even if he does have, like, a steady shot, uh, if it's, like, a close-up uh, on someone talking, he would usually yeah. go for a um, handheld, just so that the camera doesn't feel still. Yeah, I mean, Nolan flexes, let's be honest. Nolan never loses an opportunity just to show off how good he is at all this. <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you really want to see his uh, his tricks behind the camera in full mm. glory, watch Inception because that movie is oh, filled yeah. to the brim with absolutely amazing shots. Yeah, and the behind the scenes footage for that is amazing because you really see oh, like, yeah. you can see the the nitty gritty of how they did it, and it's nuts. 
Oh yeah, no, it's absolutely not. It's like the the water that pours into that one and the the oh, opening, yeah. the uh, rotating hotel lobby. That's I love that scene so much. That's one of my favorite yep. scenes no, it's, I've ever put the film. <laughs> it's special effects with storytelling and cinematography to be cinema. I love it's it. Practical effects for the most part. Yeah, God, love that. I mean, this is the thing, Nolan. You, we've gone through the filmography. There isn't a low note. It's all, it's all up there. Even when it dips, it's only in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like we were saying with Interstellar, and even to some degrees, Dunkirk. I guess mm. for some people, uh, it's it's minor dips, and also Dark Knight Rises. I guess uh, th- those latest three movies, yep. although they have been minor dips uh, compared to the others, they're still compared to everything else out there. Incredible movies. <laughs> That yep, makes me no very doubt. excited for Tenant because <clears throat> I I actually enjoyed Interstellar a lot and Dunkirk as well, so <laughs> I did not see those yeah. quite as big. No, I can't wait. <laughs> no, and neither did I. Okay, I'm looking at the time, and I think we've we we have rambled enough about <laughs> Nolan and his ability. Oh, our God! No. <laughs> <laughs> all all praise to he, the automaton. <laughs> All praise to he, the maker of such things as memento and prestige. He is prestigious in his memento of insomnia. <laughs> Harmony party. <laughs> All right. So if uh, if anyone has any other directors they would like us to look at, uh, please send us a mail at site on, yeah, site on screen at gmail.com. Uh, yeah. Um, we are available uh, for... Yeah, go for it. So we're also available on most... Uh, podcast streaming platforms like uh, Spotify, Stitcher, mm-hmm. iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, as well as YouTube. Yep, you got them all this time. Well done. And oh. uh, if you'd like to support the show, we are on Sight on Screen, sl- or Patreon, Patreon.com slash Sight on Screen, all one word. And uh, yep. But the best thing you can do for the show, like we always say, tell a friend, spread the word, let somebody know about us. Yeah, we're uh, that's the most important thing for us, is just a Spread our spread our message across. Spread our message. Watch good directors. Make fun of bad movies. Hooah. Yeah. Hooah. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Uh, well, All right. Thanks for listening, thank everybody. So we appreciate it. Yes. Uh, have a good one.